Welcome everybody, this is episode one of a brand new series called ChrisCast, where we talk with Chris Stevens MP, the Member of Parliament for Glasgow South West. Uh, my name's Al, I'm one of the staff here, and sitting right here with me is Chris. Now, we're doing this because we thought it would be a good idea to let you know what's going on now that Chris is on summer recess. It doesn't actually mean he's going on holiday, he's not allowed to have any more than a week off. Talk about some of the stuff Chris has been up to, then we'll tell you things that are coming up, and at the end we'll tell you what the plans are for the podcast. So, Chris. Yes. Here Hello. we go. Chris Cast. Exciting, isn't it? It certainly is. Let's get serious stuff out of the way. What's been going on at Westminster? Okay, so th- thanks for that, Al. So in the final week uh, before the recess then, so there was a number of, uh, I think, important matters that took place. First of all, the uh, Tories decided to have a confidence vote in themselves. Um, I, des- I decided, uh, along with uh, other SNP colleagues, <laughs> that we did not have confidence in the government. <laughs> surprise, surprise, for a whole series of reasons. And so that was um, basically to try and unite the Tory party before Boris's departure. I've never seen a more silly sight than seeing Tory MPs stand up and uh, applauding their outgoing leader who they uh, rebelled against and uh, there was an uprising to get rid of him, but they gave him a standing ovation. Except for one person, I gather. Well, except for Theresa May, who I think was less comfortable with the standing (laughs) ovation. And I think she did eventually stand up but didn't clap, so... um, So... There's, there's that, but we'll see who the next Prime Minister will be, but obviously I take the very strong view that, the, that they won't be serving the interests of either the Glasgow South West constituency or indeed the Scottish nation. Other things that I was involved in, uh, there was an urgent question on the contaminated blood inquiry, but specifically the compensation scheme or the lack of interim payments being made for compensation. That's a very serious issue that's been going on for a good number of years now there are a number of constituents who we're dealing with on an ongoing basis part of the campaign to ensure that they do get compensation interestingly that that got good media coverage including the private eye which I put up on our uh, social media accounts and there's a section of private eye that uh, talk about this and I'm very firm that those uh, relatives who've lost loved ones as a result of contaminated blood should also uh, have compensation these are vigils who have cared for their loved ones, gave up careers in order to care for their loved ones and I, I believe that they should have compensation. Can I just ask there, how long this has been going on for? Well this has been going on for decades, so decades. this was uh, 70s and 80s, that's when it started. People who had blood transfusions, I found out that they were getting contaminated blood and either ended up with HIV or haemophilia. It's a very serious issue. We had the Department of Work and Pension Select Committee, of which I'm a member, on health assessment benefits, questioning the Minister, which I believe fairly robust in my questions, particularly around the lack of faith that people have. Recently, we had, as a Select Committee, we had a, a public engagement session in Glasgow, and it was quite clear from there uh, the concerns that people have, the lack of trust they have in the process, and the, the lack of trust they have in the, in the contractors and their performance and I think there's a lack of data as well coming from the uh, government um, around uh, 
both the performance of the contractor but also the statistics they hold on work capability assessments as well. So, so that's something that um, we'll be looking at in producing a report. But one report that did come out this week was the cost of living report, um, which was covered by the Daily Record. I was pleased to say there's a clear recommendation of a campaign which I've been involved in for quite some time, which is to pause universal credit deductions. So essentially what's happening, folks, is that um, people who are applying for universal credit find themselves, um, if they can't, wait five weeks for their first payment, they're taking an advance, and then that advance is then being taken off in lumps as a deduction. Usually on average about £60 a month, which for a lot of people is the difference between being able to afford food or being able to pay their uh, utility bills. I've always taken the view, as has the select committee, that if you know within two weeks that someone qualifies for universal credit, you should pay them a grant at that stage and then you go ahead with the payments. But this advanced system is putting people into poverty and to me it's a poverty tax. The other thing around the deductions, which my colleague David Linden uh, managed to secure an adjournment debate on, in which I also made a contribution, is some of the deductions are clawed back by departmental error. And that is not the fault of the claimant that the department have made an error and I take the view, as does other colleagues like David Linden, that they should not have a deduction. If they, if the mistake's their fault, tough, yeah. and yeah. people shouldn't pay that back. We're going into the final week and then there was a summer adjournment debate in which you can raise a lot of issues and one of those particular issues which not just me but uh, other MPs raised was the uh, ongoing issues in relation to passports and the passport office yeah. and I have asked uh, the government if they would meet um, MPs by either Zoom or conference call to discuss the systematic errors that are going on with passport. Guidance that's been given to our office is passport applications have a 10 week service standard which to process a passport application if constituents have applied more than six weeks ago a person could upgrade an application if they travel if, if they have travel booked in the next two weeks if they have applied less than six weeks ago they can no longer upgrade their application until it's been live for six weeks it's a complete mess there are all sorts of private contractors involved with this regular poor customer service we've got people in the office and indeed constituents who are on the phone for hours trying to get through, they get cut off, they then have the phone again. Emails not being responded to, that's a very real concern from all MPs I think. People seeing their online status changing back to the previous status which is causing all sorts of confusion and, uh, and it's almost impossible to get a fast track one day or one week appointment online. So. Yeah. Uh, it's a complete mess, but we are certainly doing everything we can as an office and we've dealt with a lot of cases. I know, and I was certainly seeing a heck of a lot of passport cases coming through just now. It was interesting when we were when I was watching the reply that the Minister gave to you, he said that he was be engaging new staff. This is just new staff in time for the English school holiday, so they're about, about a month late for Scotland. So yeah, again, we're getting... Well, they promised 1,700 staff, and I understand they're only going to hire half of that. My understanding is uh, a lot of that's agency work, and agency workers, so that's people who are not fully trained, yeah. who are going to be permanent staff. So there's a bit of a con there when we talk about all these new staff members. <laughs> Yeah, same, same as the 20,000 police after sacking 21,000 police. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. So, indeed. Quite. So, yes. 
So that's really been the parliamentary outlook. In terms of back in the constituency, we held a, our surgeries in Corker Hill and Riverside Hall. Our next surgeries are the 50p church at Priest Hill on the first Thursday at 12.30pm and first Friday, which will be Sainsbury's Darnley at 6.30pm. We're still, uh, because of security advice, operating appointment only, so if constituents want to see us at the surgery, if they could uh, telephone the office on 0141 8830875 and book an appointment for the surgery or indeed if they email the office. I, I'm certainly keen during the recess to get out and about. In Govan on Saturday, there was a glorious Govan Gala, who was uh, very good and attended. And then Sunday, I was at Elder Park, which, despite the fact that the heavens opened, was still well, well, well attended by the community. A bit damp, so. a bit damp that day, wasn't I it? I was a bit damp yeah. that day. Well, I was very damp that day, <laughs> so yes. Uh, we've conducted a number of site visits on behalf of constituents with uh, various problems. Attended the Pollock Breakfast Club, um, which is a, a fantastic uh, service on a Tuesday morning, although I think they're, they're now stopping for a couple of weeks. And I visited uh, Southside Housing Association's summer programme, which is funded by Glasgow City Council's uh, Holiday Hunger Fund. So what goes on in the summer programme? Southside, there's uh, entertainment for the kids, uh, food provided and it just gives them an op- I think it, it helps eliminate holiday hunger but also gives kids some activities to do during the summer as well so so that that's good and indeed I visited the RMG picket line at Glasgow Central Station to and support the workers to show full support and solidarity um, it's quite ironic isn't it that the government are uh, complaining about these striking workers that didn't stop them striking didn't stop them going on strike <laughs> withdrawing labour withdrawing their labour not even a ballot <laughs> they're, they're doing it in reverse they have a ballot after the uh, strike yeah. um, you, you do wonder if they were going to bring in agency ministers because uh, one of the things they have done a couple of weeks ago was that and uh, quite disgracefully they have they have decided, uh, and, and by statutory instrument, that they will give employers the opportunity, if they so desire, to uh, bring in agency workers when there's a strike on. And it's just complete and utter trade union bashing. It's an anti-trade union move. But I think that, uh, perhaps more seriously, agencies themselves don't support this change. And if you work for an agency and you're given an opportunity of a shift to go past a picket line and replace a striking worker or you're offered an opportunity to go elsewhere, I think 99 people yeah. out of 100 are going to go elsewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, very serious stuff. So that's been uh, my week so far. Um, looking forward to some more uh, site vi- visits and meeting constituents for the rest of the week and uh, the weekend going forward. One of the little features we're going to do on this podcast is going to be called the Nerd Spot, where we will ask Chris questions about some of the arcane and crazy practices that go on down in Westminster. And what we're going to do, we are talking earlier on about some agency work and, and Chris mentioned the statutory instrument. So, Chris, statutory instrument. What is a statutory instrument and why? Well, that's a good question and uh, I think this is probably an opportunity to 
uh, try and help people uh, when they hear the jargon uh, actually know what the jargon actually means. So a statutory instrument is a form of uh, secondary or delegated legislation, usually set out in an Act of Parliament. So in the case of the agency workers being allowed in to effectively bust strikes, that comes under uh, employment legislation under the, the Employment Acts. And, and the Trade Union Acts, it will be set out uh, in that Act that a minister uh, has the power to make a statutory instrument and to make a law identified in that. Now, usually what happens there is that the statutory instrument can either be by committee, which is called a Delegated Legislation Committee, which will usually have a government majority, but will have both Labour uh, and SNP MPs at it, or they can do a statutory instrument, as they did in this case, with a debate on the, in the House of Commons Chamber. Fantastic. Very, very good. Well, it's not fantastic because well, this is not a statutory instrument we would want. There are some statutory instruments we would support. Some statutory instruments, for example, uprate security benefit, for example. That would be covered by legislation, but that has to happen. The uh, operatings of the minimum wage have to go through a statutory instrument as well. There are various procedures about that, and maybe we can come to that on another occasion. Absolutely. There's plenty of room for crazy questions about the lunacy of down south, I'm sure. Kind of following on from statutory instrument and slightly related, are remedial orders? We are specifically looking for a remedial order to address the issue of bereavement benefits for cohabiting couples. We have a number of constituents who are caught up with this who are not receiving bereavement benefits because they've been cohabiting couples. There was a court case at the Supreme Court before that in the Northern Ireland Court, so the government have had a number of years to fix this. They laid down a first remedial order. I was then open to consultation and we're desperately needing a remedial order so that effectively they can backdate the legislation to cover the period and to amend uh, human rights uh, legislation as well to ensure that the children of cohabiting couples uh, are receiving the adequate benefit, or the parents of those couples are receiving that benefit. And that's uh, something that we're desperately uh, hoping that the government will do as soon as possible, because there are people who've waited for years for this. The remedial order system is arcane in that it's six days, sitting days in Parliament. The first remedial order was laid just before summer recess last year, so it only covered a couple of days. Um, Then the September to October session, which was three weeks, only covered that period, and then went Parliament back in October through to December. So it's 67 days, but we, we're, we're desperately trying to ensure uh, that that happens. And that's why when people are watching my videos or they get to see the hand salads or they're looking up, they work for you and all these other sites about what I mean by that. That's what I mean by remedial order. It's just so that these that these parents can get that payment. So you mentioned their Hansard. One of the other things that they work on is Erskine May, I'm correct. And well, the Erskine May's the rule book. Hansard yeah. is the record. Everything that I have said in the last seven years is covered in Hansard and is there for life. <laughs> so any wisecracks or any criticisms I have made and, and any cultural <laughs> references I have made are on Hansard for life. And so people 50 years from now might not understand <laughs> game, what Game of Thrones or Rainbow is or indeed the great question Bullseye or any of these things. So yes. Uh, and I understand there there is absolutely no competition between the SNP MPs to get Scottish words recorded in Hansard. None, none whatsoever. Absolutely none whatsoever. I don't know where you got that scurrilous <laughs> river from last time. <laughs> well, obviously we don't want to take this 
too seriously in some cases. So a little question that we, we need to know an answer to is, the sergeant at arms is a person you'll see sitting in black towards the entrance of the commons chamber and their fancy attire there. Apparently, they have a sword. Now, can you confirm whether that sword is real or not, Chris? Well, he's never jagged me, so I don't know if it is real <laughs> or not. Um, but I understand that he does have a sword. Uh, he's never jagged me with the sword, so I can't, I can't tell you if it's an actual sword or not. This goes very much back to the old traditions of the House where the opposition and government benches are um, two sword lengths apart. And in the cloakroom of uh, the members' cloakroom, there are little pink strings for members of Parliament who have swords to leave their swords there. I'm assuming certain traditionalist members of Parliament from certain areas may have a sword that they keep? They may or may not have a sword. I've not yet, yet seen any swords, but uh, I've seen some plastic swords <laughs> and some plastic lightsabers from Star Wars, <laughs> but I have not uh, indulged in such behaviour. So if anybody is actually listening to this podcast, um, please make donations for Chris's broadsword to the office. Okay, with that, we're going to move on to some other bits and pieces. So we've covered quite a few little interesting quirks about life and times at Westminster. Chris is here for the summer. We're going to throw this open to listeners of the podcast. If you'd like to ask a question of Chris that we can answer in a future episode of the podcast, contact us in the usual ways. You can go on to chrisstevens.scott for the website. Contact us on the contact page there. Leave a comment on Facebook or Twitter, DM Chris, and we can have a look at the question. Or obviously just email chris.stevens.mp at parliament.uk. And we will go through these and we'll pick some of the best questions out to answer in future podcast episodes. So, Chris, what kind of questions are you expecting that we'll get? Anything from the at audience? all. They will all be weird and wonderful, I'm sure. <laughs> but I'm sure they get constituency ones. People who obviously watch Parliament and, you know, maybe don't understand some procedure or what happened, and yep. more than happy to. Brilliant. So, one of the things we're going to do as well in future episodes. We're hoping to get various community organisations, we'll give them a bit of a shout out. So if you are a local community organisation and you'd like to get a mention on the podcast, maybe let us know what you've got on in the coming week. Please, by all means, get in contact with us at the same address details and we will give you a shout out in the forthcoming episodes. Plan to publish every Monday. Of course, that may include Chris doing long-distance phone calls from London to me to try and do this. We're hoping we'll have a bit of fun with this. So don't forget to give us some feedback. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you didn't like. Chris likes his cup of tea and he likes Partick Thistle. Those are two of his particular likes. Get in touch. Let us know. And we'll see you next Monday. Take care, folks. Stay safe.